Alright, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John, however, will be back later this week. That episode will go up on late Thursday afternoon or maybe Friday morning. Sometime then, you'll definitely have something in your podcast feed by Friday morning. If you want more Chuck and John in your lives, as always, you can go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. There you can join the Slack chat where we're talking about eclipses and movies and Denzel Washington and whatever else comes up. I know we are in the deep, deep offseason. They finally took the old league pass games off. I can't watch Grizzlies games from last year, so it's a dark dark time. Hey, NBA, maybe make those available all the time. Maybe put those for sale so we can go back and watch old games. It's a modest business proposal. Anyway, if you want to support us, do that at patreon.com slash breakfast. My guest today is a writer for hawks.com the host of the ATL and 29 podcast, a Dan Roundfield enthusiast, and a repeat guest, Mr. Kevin Chenard. Kevin, how are you doing? Great. Uh, thank you for mentioning the Roundfield thing, because, yeah, definitely a, a big Dan Roundfield fan. I had to go back and listen to our previous episode we had to remember who your favorite Hawks player was, because I could not remember. <laughs> I was like, it was some guy I never heard of. Oh. And, and then, so yeah, I had to go back and be like, oh yeah, Dan Roundfield. Well, uh, also on our last episode, you you expressed how you weren't a big breakfast guy. Uh, you, you liked like a granola bar and an iced coffee. Did you get your iced coffee this morning and was it the proper color? You said they screwed that up sometimes. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little dark this morning. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, it was you know I have uh, I go to the same place every day, and you know they had like a new employee today, so you know it, it was good. It was good. But uh, as far as the rest of the breakfast, um, my wife and daughter, you know, went eclipse hunting yesterday. I think they drove up to Tennessee or North Georgia to try to see the full eclipse. And they came home with an unreasonable amount of leftover Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know how they thought they were going to eat that many donuts. But they had, like, those those new chocolate glazed donuts. What makes them new? Well, I think Krispy Kreme, you know, used to just be the just like a straight glaze. And then they they added some chocolate to the glaze. So now they can do a chocolate glazed oh. Krispy Kreme donut. I'll have to look into this. So you're, it's, a yeah, choc- it's a chocolate donut. And then there's a then there's chocolate icing on top of that. Or the, the is that correct? I think mm, I think it's more like their regular glazed donut, but then they just kind of work chocolate into the glaze into the actual glaze. It. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a Krispy Kreme a couple miles from my house, so uh, be right back. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> that does sound amazing, though. I understand. I I'm a uh, I like sweets and I like sweets for breakfast. So when I go to Krispy Kreme, I also I'm sometimes I go overboard. I'm like, I'll take one of those, one of those, or maybe they have a deal where it's like, if you get a dozen, it's this much. So, uh, well, how, the, how are the reports of the eclipse? I'm in Nashville. My report, it was amazing. Yeah. My wife and daughter like got to where it was a full eclipse. I saw it here near Atlanta and you know, it was like 
maybe five percent of the sun was showing, and it was it was pretty impressive. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known though, you know. If, it just kind of felt like there was going to be a storm or something. It kind kind of gray, kind of. It was almost like the the air, you know, the sky was like this deep, hazy blue. It was different. I, you know, I I got a good view of it with the glasses, but without the glasses, uh, you're not. It was yeah. kind of unsettling, but it wasn't terribly noticeable. I thought the sky was going to get like dark. That was that was a conversation I had with my wife. If no one had told us there was an eclipse was going to happen when it was not at the totality, when it was just like the sky, it looked weird outside, would we have noticed anything was different? Would we have just assumed like a cloud was in front of the sun? Because knowing that the eclipse was happening, it, it like you said, for me, it was also, it was unsettling where I'm like, this is strange. Like, it's weird looking out here. It's like the whole world, like the dimmer has turned down. But in Nashville, the totality, like it went dark. Like it went, wow. it went, whatever uh it felt it felt like the few minutes after sunset you know like it wasn't it wasn't night it wasn't deep night but it was like oh it's one it's one thirty, and it's dark everywhere and that's kind of weird like that was strange like you see the lights <laughs> of the city the lights of the cars everywhere and then it passed and i was like that was yeah that was kind of fun it, it was a it was a great cosmic event i don't understand people who were uh disappointed by it i see people being like that was it like that's once in a lifetime. <laughs> I'm like, like, like a solar object blocked out the sun. That was amazing. Like that was incredible. I don't know what you guys are hoping for. Uh, I guess on the far end of things that are incredible, the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> that was an unplanned segue, but I will stand by it. Uh, so last year. The Hawks made the playoffs like they do, like they kind of always do. The big decision of last year and last offseason was bringing in Dwight Howard, letting Al Horford go or maybe not making the full pitch uh, to bring him back, going with Dwight Howard. And now a year later, they have, I guess, admitted their mistake. And Dwight Howard has been traded. So... What is the uh, what's the story of what happened with the Dwight Howard era in Atlanta outside of he grew unhappy with his role? Well, I mean, I at the beginning, about this time last season, you know, people asked me, I think I was on some podcast and they asked, you know, what's your prediction for the season? And, you know, I kind of expected that, you know, going from Horford to Howard, it was going to be a downgrade for the regular season. But I was you know, kind of holding out hope for the playoffs that, you know, maybe a little more physical, a little bit more of a grind, you know, get some rebounds, that things would turn out differently. And I was right about the fact that they took a dip in the regular season, but it felt like they took an even bigger dip in the playoffs when it actually happened. And, you know, maybe it was the matchup. But when Atlanta played John Wall and the Wizards in the playoffs, they were dismal at defending the fast break. And that was especially noticeable when Howard was on the floor. Um, so it was just, you know, it was like the, the, the postseason was in a way just a little too fast for his style of play. Mm-hmm. And that could be Washington. That could be John Wall because, I mean, there might be somebody faster with the ball, but... You know, if so, it wouldn't be much faster than Wall. And he really was flying in that first round series. Um, but, you know, it, that made Dwight Howard look kind of irrelevant in the playoffs where the thinking was all along was that, you know, he was going to matter more in the playoffs than anything else. 
Would so? Do you think if he'd looked better in the playoffs, that maybe he would still be there? Not if they had made the managerial change to make Travis Schlenk the general manager. No, I mean I think if you install Travis yeah. Schlenk as GM, Howard's going either way. But maybe they don't make that organizational change if they do better in the playoffs. So it's kind of a, you know, whatever the hypothetical is. You know, if Bud stays as GM, then maybe. You know, if they have a little more success in the playoffs, Budenholzer stays as GM, then maybe Howard stays. Um, because, you know, that was pretty clearly a dump move. They didn't get a whole lot back in that trade. Um, yeah, but with I, Schlenk as GM, yeah, he was he was going to go pretty much no matter how it looked in the playoffs. So so the, ti- the timeline went, refresh me, the timeline went like once the playoffs were over, the Hawks were eliminated. That's when they announced that Budenholzer is no longer had his role as, as team president. And then they they brought in Schlink after that. Yeah, they 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 were out of the playoffs before they made that change in GM. Right, and so because last year I think a lot of the conversation around the Hawks was whether or not they were blowing things up because of the Kyle Korver trade and, and in the offseason, you know, transitioning to Dennis Schroeder. So they traded Teague away. They got a draft pick. They got the uh, Torian Prince draft pick. And then in the regular season when they traded Corver, it was like, okay, now let's trade Paul Millsap because his contract's expiring. But they, they, they didn't, and they ended up, you know, again, making the playoffs, keeping that streak going. Do you think there's any regret now that they didn't trade Millsap, or are they still happy? Like, no, you know, we, we made the playoffs again. That was important to us, and now we'll, we'll bring in Schlink. Now officially we'll, we'll start the rebuild. <laughs> yeah, I mean – it was kind of weird because it, it felt like there was some pull and tug. And, you know, there were reports that Budenholzer and general manager Wes Wilcox didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I might have referred to Bud as the GM before, but he was president of basketball operations. You know, he was the final decision maker. And Wes Wilcox was the general manager, you know, presumably the guy making phone calls. And I don't know that they necessarily saw things the same way. Yeah. And you got a little bit of a feel for that in, uh, in you know, the fact that Corver got traded and Millsap didn't. Um, and, you know, the third factor you have to worry about a little bit there is, you know, how did ownership play? And, you know, what were they saying as far as, you know, what the decision could be? And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of hard to tell. It seemed like there were different inputs. Um, but I don't I don't know that there's a whole lot of regret. I mean, it kind of you'd have to factor in, you know, how much would they have gotten for Millsap? What were the offers? You know, were they particularly good or was it going to be like a first round pick in the twenties? You know, it might not have, you know, been some massive haul that they could have gotten for, for a player who was going to be a free agent. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of different things in there. Uh, Corver wasn't having a greatest as great a season as he had had in the previous ones. So I think that made it a little bit easier to trade him just in terms of fit on the floor. I mean, he was still shooting the ball pretty well, but it didn't seem like the Hawks were as effective with him on the court as they had been in previous years. Um, He was, you know, a net negative, whereas he was always the player who had been their most positive in terms of plus minus in the previous seasons. And they got a pretty good pick. You know, that that pick that they got for Corver might be really good if, you know, the Cavs decide to blow things up. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the ownership's role in either hanging on to Millsap or what they were doing with as far as blowing the team up last year. Talking of ownership, I've heard people say that 
Dwight Howard last year was brought in, maybe for more economic reasons than basketball reasons, more for the off-the-court ticket sales to have a bigger-name guy in the Atlanta market. So now that they traded him away for a terrible return, was it all basketball reasons, or was there any economic reasons in there? I would guess that it was entirely basketball reasons. You know, you get the feeling that decision-making is a little bit more centralized now that, that Travis Schlenk is new and has the job. Um, yeah, that was the funny thing about, you know, deciding whether or not to blow it up last season. It was, it was Howard's first season and you kind of felt like they had to take one swing at it with him in the fold. Or why would you sign somebody to a $70 million contract if you were going to instantly turn and blow it up? So it kind of felt like they had to take one chance at seeing how it worked in the playoffs. But you know, I think the biggest difference now is is that really Schlenk is the person making all the decisions and, you know, he's going to make his decisions for basketball reasons. If they had to get rid of Dwight Howard, kind of last thing on the Dwight Howard trade, was there any thought that they would take, instead of taking on Miles Plumley's even longer contract, that they would take like the Detroit Pistons, Josh Smith way out and just honorably fall on their sword and be like, all right, we can stretch him over eight years or just sit him down or maybe six years, but or just sit him down and tell him to go away as opposed to bringing in an even longer contract. I mean, you'd have to think that they would have at least weighed that option without actually knowing whether they did or not. Um, I mean, it, I, I'm sure that was in their calculus somewhere. Uh, but at the same time, you know, maybe they're trying to work something sort of like the wizards did with Gilbert arenas where you, trade for the slightly less damaging contract and <laughs> yeah. try to try to do that over a couple of successive trades and and try to work off of it as much as you can but you know what? i'm not sure that that it's going to be interesting to see whether they use Plumley that much this season because a lot of their offseason acquisitions were big men yeah they have they have a very loaded front court so n- now that howard's gone and paul Millsap left in free agency uh, what what is the plan now like we mentioned they might think about like they were thinking last year, possibly about tearing it down. They did not. Now it seems like they're going to tear it down, but they did add, they added a couple free agents, a uh, big man. They brought in Dwayne Deadman, Who's like an okay rotation guy. They brought back Ursan Ilyasova. They signed some more guys at the fringes who are like decent ish NBA players. Is this a complete tear down or is this again, something more in the middle? I think it's something more in the middle. If, you know, if you ask Travis Schlenk what the plan is, you know, he said in different interviews and things like that, that it's a retooling and that his number one goal is flexibility. So I don't think it's a complete tank in that sense. Um, I do think that that Schlenk is prizing flexibility and that could manifest itself at the trade deadline. If you look at the deals he signed, you know, with Deadman, Muscala, Ilyasova, Babbitt. Um, they're all short deals. And so if they just, you know, I, most of them are either one year deals or one year deals with a player option. And so, and they're all at low prices. I mean, there really weren't any, you know, budget busting deals in there. So if they get to the trade deadline and they decide, you know, hey, this isn't working out, you know, maybe we should move some players or John Collins is ready. Maybe we should make some space for him. Then I think they get off of those deals. Uh, that they signed this summer. So, you know, I think they're trying to be competitive 
and they're trying to do it in a way that will best help their young talent. Because if you look at players like, you know, Torian Prince, DeAndre Bembry, and now John Collins, those are players who are going to look best with the ball in their hands, you know, in the paint. And so everything that they've done has been, you know, with the exception of maybe Deadman being a good defender, is to, to put shooting around them. They're going to space the floor, um, you know, around Schroeder and all that young talent and give them space. You know, uh, Budenholzer over the years has called himself a pace and space system, but they didn't really have that last year. You know, with Howard and Millsap, it was not spaced. <laughs> and so I think this is going to give the, the young talent an opportunity to be more successful because they won't be driving the lane with people digging into the paint against them. Yeah, I think one of the reasons when I, I, I look at this roster and I'm trying to put teams in order of how, how good they might be, what their win totals might be, which is what I spend my August doing out of boredom. The, uh, <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the Hawks roster, and I think last year, you know, I think maybe you told me also, you were pointing out how the team last year wasn't built really for Dennis Schroeder's success because of the lack of spacing and the fact there weren't very good shooters around him. Now, I don't think the Hawks are going to be, you know, good, but at least you have you have Schroeder. There should be more driving lanes because, you know, Bellinelli, Babbitt, uh, Ilyasova, Muscala are all guys who just, you know, who will be guarded probably out at the th- three-point line. And even, you know, like uh, Bazemore is guarded out there because he can, he can drive and he shoots. So maybe, maybe this team is set up better for Dennis Schroeder at least to have a better season. You know, to be, he can be more efficient. He can probably get to the bucket a little bit easier without, you know, you know, the crowd of people down there, I don't know if it'll result in them, you know, winning many games, but it, it might, it might look a, a little better. So do you think that's a reason also they might win more games that people are anticipating? Yeah, I, I, I really do think that, that this team is better than a lot of the teams in the East, right? Yeah. If you put this, if you put this Hawks team in the West, yeah, they're probably going to be pretty far down in the standings, but there are a lot of weak teams in the East. And the one thing that I typically don't like to bet against is shooting. And it seems like they have a lot of it and that, you know, it may help players like Prince uh, Schroeder and, you know, kind of secretly on the down low Bazemore, because, you know, if there's one critique of Bazemore last season, it was probably that, you know, he turned the ball over a lot, but, uh, you know, even if he doesn't have the world's, you know, he's not Kyrie Irving with the ball in his hands. He's still a, decent ball handler it's just that he was working too often against defenses where he had to beat more than one player looking at a guy another guy who got away tim hardaway jr the talks were that the hawks were intending to bring him back you know on a double digit maybe 12 million a year contract the knicks obviously blew him out of a water with a with a four-year um offer i think it was 17 million per, per, per year what do you think the Hawks were prepared to do there? And and if they do bring him back on a more reasonable deal, how do you think that changes or does that change at all the, the Hawks offseason and plans for next year? I don't think it would have, you know, I don't think it would have changed their plans. I think he was a player who would have fit their style. You know, we mentioned, I mentioned before that, that Budenholzer wanted to be a pace and space system and he didn't really have the space. Um, and actually, when Schlenk started, he said something to the effect of, I think we can play a little bit faster. And maybe that was, you know, kind of a nod to 
to Dwight Howard and what you know what we saw in the postseason with the Hawks getting killed in transition, I think this can be a faster team, and Hardaway would have fit, fit really well in both aspects. You know, the pace and the space. He's a really good shooter, um, and he can play fast. He's he's super athletic. If the game is up and down, that's really going to suit him well. You know, you don't want him playing defensively a lot of times when they're going to milk the shot clock and he's going to have to make, you know, successive defensive plays, you know, he's a really great offensive player and I don't think he's gotten to his ceiling yet. I think he's going to surprise people a little bit in New York. If the Knicks can put anything about around him because he's a really good shooter. He's gotten a lot better at driving to the rim. He can really make some exciting finishes at the rim in terms of dunks. So he'll probably be on Sports Center a lot this year, especially being in New York. But that the, that series against the Wizards uh, didn't go well for him defensively. He had yeah. trouble getting some getting around Marcin Gortat and some of that pick and roll game, and it was hard for him to defend around screens in the postseason. It's hard. It's hard so to get can... around Gortat's illegal screens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said it. I didn't want to be the one to say it. But yeah, <laughs> that was definitely an issue for Hardaway. Um, how does how does Tim Hardaway Jr. compare to some of the other shooting guards who are who are his same age? Because in my mind, I think of him as being less than. But then I was looking at the, the stats, and he compares very favorably, or maybe even looks better, just black and white statistics than like he looks better than Contavious Caldwell Pope or, or Victor Oladipo. So how do you think he he actually shakes out? from someone who's seen him play a lot more than I have. I think he's more of a natural scorer than those players. I mean, I think those players are better defensively. Oladipo's, you know, definitely better defensively. KCP's better defensively. But I think Hardaway is going to be a much better shooter than both of those players. I don't think he's gotten to his ceiling yet as a shooter. Um, you know, when you watch him, it's really a beautiful shot. It's really just a nice looking shot when he's shooting in practice. I mean, every shot looks exactly the same. And I think there's just some tuning to translating, you know, just that beautiful natural shot and playing it in an NBA game where the defenses are so advanced. But I think he's just going to get more and more comfortable offensively. And, you know, I don't think he's that far from being a, a 20 point per game score. I think that'll happen pretty soon. How much per year would you have been comfortable giving him? You know, it's funny because he was a restricted free agent and it seemed like, you know, a lot of those restricted free agents had the squeeze put on them this off season. And I think the Hawks were kind of, you know, trying to exploit that a little bit, wait it out, wait it out, see, see if you can get a discount. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. So probably something on the lines of, you know, 10 million a year, 12 million a year, just kind of, I think the Hawks were going to be really patient and, and see how it played out. And, you know, the Knicks sort of called them on it, but I don't think there was any doubt that once the Knicks made that offer that the Hawks were going to, were going to come anywhere close to it. All right. We've probably talked a little bit too much about guys who aren't Hawks anymore. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, the exciting thing this summer was John Collins looking like a stud at Vegas summer league. How much is he going to be inserted, do you think, right away into like the Hawks' plans, playing time and getting in the game and maybe even being a starter? Well, we were talking about Hardaway, and I think he's a good example of what you might expect from Collins. When Hardaway first got here, they didn't 
and trust him with a big role at first. You know, they made him go to the D League, um, you know, get in much better shape. Right. He's probably in better shape now than he's ever been at any point in his career. Um, and I don't mean that as a knock. I mean that as he went from good shape to like phenomenal. He's a freak in shape. You know, he looks like Superman when you stand up close next to him. So, you know, they were really patient with Hardaway and, you know, with Tory and Prince last season, they don't tend to go to their young guys or their new guys right away. It's usually something that at the earliest will happen at midseason. And so I kind of think that's what we'll see with Collins. You know, they signed, you know, Babbitt, they signed Ilyasova, they signed Muscala. You know, these are players who can play power forward and they might be blocking Collins and maybe one of them gets traded at the deadline to make some space for Collins. But I think Collins is going to have to earn his keep. I think the Hawks sort of philosophically want players to earn their role rather than being handed a role. And I don't think it'll be that much different from Collins. So maybe he's a rotation player early, but I feel like, you know, if things go right by the end of the season, he'll definitely be in the rotation. I'm not sure you're going to sell a lot of ticket packages being like uh, John Collins might work his way into the lineup Come come trade deadline, let's let's all let's all go watch Luke Babbitt and uh you know Miles Plumley roll, roll to the hoop. You, you don't. That's you don't, true. But yeah, see, yeah. but to count to counter that, you know who will be in the rotation? DeAndre Bembry, who they didn't really play at all last season because he didn't really have a three point shot. And you know they used him. You know maybe a handful of games he was he was playing big minutes, but for by and large he didn't get in the rotation as a regular player last season. And I think he will be this season. So, you know, in terms of selling tickets, you know, they might put it on his shoulders as opposed to Collins right away because he's going to be an exciting player, too. He was definitely there. You know, Hardaway and Bembry were the Hawks' two most athletic players last season. You know, guys who can finish at the rim and kind of get you to say, ooh, when they when they finish. Um, Bembry is that kind of player. It's, for him, it's just a matter of, of figuring out his outside shot. And in summer league and in the D league last season, you, you could see it start to get put together. And he really has the rest of the game to be a really talented, multidimensional player, offensively, defensively, with the ball in his hands, without. He's going to be able to do a lot of things if he figures out that jump shot. So I think he might be the marketable young player early and maybe Collins will pick it up late. If you if you called me on on the phone selling me Atlanta Hawks season tickets, and and you pitched me, don't worry about John Collins. Let me tell you about let me tell you about this DeAndre Bembry guy. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure you would have gotten me. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure I would have bit. Um. So who do you think is going to be like day one? What is this starting lineup going to look like? Are they going to be chasing wins? Uh, we assume it's going to be Schroeder and Bazemore. And what 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 else do you think is going to be uh out there? Uh, Schroeder, Bazemore, Prince. Deadman power forward is kind of a question mark. Um, I would guess Ilyasova Uh because the second half of the season, once Ilyasova got here and got a couple of weeks of playing time under his belt, I thought it was pretty clear that the Hawks were better with Ilyasova in the lineup than they were with Howard in the lineup, just in terms of spacing, you know, he gave them decent defense, uh, offense, just smart playing. You know, he can pass the ball. He can do a lot of things. Uh, it's going to be different when Ilyasova is not out there with Millsap uh, because he's going to get some more challenging defensive assignments. But I think Ilyasova probably has the nod as a fifth starter, but we'll see. So what what, what are you thinking prediction-wise? 
wins for this team and how many wins might it take to make the playoffs for the, uh, the 10th straight year? Boy, in the East, it might be something like 35 wins get you a playoff spot. Oh, 35 yeah. 35 and 47? Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe lower. I'm not <laughs> sure. What's the record, you know, in a non oh, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's an interesting question. There were some times, you know, I guess when the NBA had 23 teams, 21 teams maybe even, and they would put 16 of the 21 in the playoffs. <laughs> there were some really dismal playoff teams, maybe early 80s, something like that. I'm going to have to do some research on that and find out. But, you know, it, it almost seems like, uh, you know, as far as a 30-team league that they could set the record this season, maybe maybe 33. And I think the Hawks <laughs> can actually get pretty close to that. You know, I I look at some of the other teams in the East, and I think just in terms of functional two-way players and having shooting that the Hawks, you know, you lay them side by side with the Pacers or the Magic or the Bulls, you know, that they're comparable to some of these teams, you know, the Nets, the Knicks, I don't see the Hawks as being markedly worse than some of those teams. Now they could pivot at the deadline if things aren't going well. And, you know, once they make that pivot, <laughs> the, the floor is the limit. Well, it's good, but again, it's going to be a hard year to tank. Like all those te- all those teams you mentioned are bad. Like maybe the, maybe the Nets are going to be the team that wants to win badly, you know, because they, they don't possess their draft pick. So, Correct. you know, the Nets are going to try to be getting wins, but they're, they're not super talented. I think it's funny, like if people, anyone listening to us being like, I can't believe these guys are talking about this Hawks team making the playoffs. Like the Hawks are projected, ESPN projected them to 27, 28 wins. All we're saying is you only got to win like five more wins than that. You might be in That's the playoffs. <laughs> like, like you, you might be in the playoffs. Um, last thing, all of the historic monuments in Atlanta to the great 60-win Hawks team have been pulled down. The, the five players of the month for uh, January 2015 are gone. <laughs> in, in the future, if we get five Hawks to be co-players of the month again, who are those five players? optional what what month and year are we talking about wow uh it's crazy right dennis schroeder is the longest tenured hawk yeah baysmore is second and i think third is like no actually muscala is second and baysmore is third it it it's something i mean i guess if it was going to be uh five hawks being player of the month you know we're probably talking three four years from now <laughs> okay and it's you know it's schroeder prince collins and two players who aren't on the roster yet all right i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> is it uh i don't I, if i knew any 2018 college draft prospects i would i would say them now but i don't even is marvin bagley is he out there is that is that a name i think or, that's one okay <laughs> I think Z- Zion Williamson. One. You get Zion yeah, Williamson. Yeah, Zion Williamson. <laughs> yep. I think Porter. They're all the same year, right? They're all next year. Yeah. Uh, that, that's I'm, I'm not a college knowledge. person. Yeah, me neither. All right. Well, Kevin, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Tell people when they can expect to hear another uh, ATL and 29 podcast. Oh, wow. Probably sometime in the next few weeks. You know, it's, it's so close. It, it seems like, uh, you know, August and September are going to be dead, but with the uh, early early regular season start everything seems to be shifted back a couple of days and i'm gonna have to get started here pretty soon well sounds good anything else you want to plug or let people know about no 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 uh 
you know, come to Atlanta and enjoy the culture here. It's it's wonderful. Oh yeah, you guys got Dragon Con coming up. Uh, Dra- Dragon Con Labor Day weekend, everybody. It is amazing. I highly recommend. Uh, it's almost as cool as a total eclipse. Might might be. It's last longer at the very least. <laughs> That's cool. Well, hey, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on, and I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Kevin for coming on. Good guy. Always fun. If you want to support our program, you can do that at patreon.com slash breakfast. That's the best way to help us out. Also, you can write a five-star iTunes review. We really appreciate those of you who have done that. And also, we will read it on air and give you a shout-out if you do that. So go ahead and write us a five-star iTunes review. All right, you can follow us on Twitter at Fast Break Break. Like us on Facebook. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G&G. Fast Break Break, man. You understand?